Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's Health Department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, I'm asking questions submitted by listeners to Dr. Eric Toner, Senior Scholar at the Center for Health Security at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Let's listen. Thank you, Dr. Toner, for joining me. We have a number of questions from our listeners who have emailed publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Thanks, Josh. Okay, the first question is, are we worried that once we get over the peak of infections and we're starting to think about opening up again, that we'll suddenly have new surges of infections that could require closing down and having to do intense social distancing all over again. Is that a potential concern? Yes, I think it is a concern. As we start to dial back the various social distancing measures we have in place, we'll have to monitor very carefully for recurrence of disease, which is going to be somewhat likely. Probably not everybody, not everybody everywhere, and hopefully not as bad as these initial waves that we are seeing. But it is likely that we'll see some recurrence and then we'll have to tighten up again on the social distancing measures for a period of time. Thank you. So the next question is related, which is about uh, Wuhan, where they are starting to think about loosening some of those restrictions. And the question is, why is Wuhan thinking of loosening those restrictions? Is it because of their calculation of herd immunity? Is it because they are only allowing certain people out of the house, like people who have been exposed before? Or is there some other factor? What do you think the leading factor is that is giving a green light? in China right now? Sure. It's it's certainly not herd immunity. Only a small fraction of the people who are residents of Wuhan got infected so far. It almost certainly relates to the fact that the Chinese authorities feel that they have ubiquitous testing and the ability to do contact tracing on all identified patients. They also have greatly expanded their healthcare capability so that they can handle the cases that get sick. So in other words, they feel like they can respond quickly to a few number of cases and not have it become the kind of problem they had before. Exactly. Great. Why aren't we seeing human temperature monitors in public places like airports, hospitals, pharmacies, grocery stores, warehouses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Um, That's a question we received. Uh, Taking temperatures is a very insensitive and imprecise tool. People can have elevated temperatures for all sorts of reasons that don't correlate with illness, such as exercise. And people can suppress their fevers by taking Tylenol or other simple over-the-counter medications. So having ubiquitous temperature monitors is not likely to be a great benefit and cause a huge numbers of both false positives and false negatives. So a lot of confusion would result. Yeah. All right. Now, some people are aware of the idea of using 
convalescent serum, essentially the antibodies that some people have made against the coronavirus when they recover and using that as a treatment or even a preventive intervention for other people. There's a study mm -hmm. about that going on at Johns Hopkins as there are a few other studies around the country that right. is very promising. But this question takes it in a bit of a sideways direction. They say, if that might work, what about using breast milk? Have you heard about that, potentially using breast milk as therapy because breast milk um, also concentrates antibodies, according to this question? <laughs> An interesting, interesting question that, as far as I know, has not been studied, but it would be interesting to look at it. Yeah, um, I would put that on the... Uh, probably lower way down on the priority list for research. But yes. I think we are very interested in the convalescent uh, serum studies because there's so many people who have recovered that if this works, there would be a natural reservoir of uh, people who could contribute a serum that could help other people. Exactly. If two people are positive, can they quarantine together or do they have to be separated? You know, they can be quarantined together as long as we're sure they're both positive. There's no problem with having multiple people together as long as they're all positive. Good. And that might have been a trick question because if two people are positive, then they would be isolating together, not quarantining together, correct? Exactly. Correct. Yes. So that's better. Quarantining yeah. together might be a little different. If there are two contacts of people who are asymptomatic, would you think that it's okay for them to quarantine together and just separate if one of them starts to get sick? Or do you think it's better if they could just keep quarantined separately? Well, I think in an ideal world, they should quarantine separately. But if they were contacts of the same individual, you know, it might be better. But, but ideally, we want people to quarantine separately. Okay. So maybe... Isolate together, quarantine separately yes. would be uh, maybe acceptable. Okay. The next one is with the job growth on the online ordering sector and all these new people being added to distribution centers, how important is it that people who work there have social distancing, hand sanitizer, hand washing, and all those other things to protect themselves? Well, of course they should, just like anybody else who um, is an essential worker right now who has to work. Everybody should maintain social distance and use... Um, hand washing and other measures to reduce the possibility of infection in their workplace. Got it. That makes sense. Here's another question back to the Wuhan and elsewhere about how many people in the population do we expect to get infected? You know, there are some studies that in Wuhan that not everyone in a family got infected. In fact, only a minority of people got infected if one person was a case. And so based on that, the questioner asks, how likely is it that we would really see 40 to 70% of the population getting the virus at some point in the future? Well, the virus will continue to spread person to person. It, it's not unusual for see this scale of infection within a family setting, but that's only for a period of time. People will be exposed to other people in the population if they're not socially distancing. And so absent sustained rigorous social distancing measures, the vast majority of the population will get infected until there's a vaccine. Got it. One, one, one other question. I know you've been working for many years on preparedness, and here now we have this pandemic, and that there are a lot of unanswered questions that I'm sure you're working to get the answers to and, and really thinking these could be very important. What, in your mind, are the most important unanswered questions right now? So, you know, I think the really important questions are how many asymptomatic carriers there are. We're having a real hard time planning, particularly in the realm of healthcare, because we just don't know how many cases are out there. 
we know how many people have tested positive, but that is a fraction of the people who actually been, have been infected. So getting a handle on that is going to be one of the most important things that we can do. And we're probably not going to know that answer until we have serology tests, that is tests where we can test people's blood to see if they have antibodies. Once we can do that on a very large scale, then we will have a better idea how many people have been infected. And that's going to be important not only for planning purposes, but also to know who's safe to go back into the population, who's safe to to stop social distancing because they know they have immunity. So really knowing the overall infection rate, asymptomatic versus symptomatic, and really knowing whether people are truly safe to go back and reduce social distancing because they're protected, that those are those are two really um, important questions right now. Yes, yes. Okay, great. Well, I know you're super busy, so I just want to thank you for dropping in to the podcast and answering these questions, and I'm sure we'll get a chance to catch up again in the future. Great. Thanks for inviting me. Take care. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen-McCusker and Spencer Greer, with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.